Welcome to Book Shambles. You're listening to an abridged version of this episode. You can listen to the full uncut edition of this episode if you become a Patreon supporter of the show. And that's for as little as $1 a month via Patreon. And uh, you can support us. So just go to patreon.com forward slash. I still say forward slash. I'm I'm nearly 51. Thank you. Uh, Forward slash Book Shambles for more info and how to pledge. Hello and welcome to Book Shambles, producer Trent here. A couple of things to let you know about off the top. This week's episode is the first that we've recorded using uh, a bit of a new setup for the way we'll be doing Book Shambles remotely from now on. So hopefully, uh, overall, particularly with Robin and Josie, the sound quality should be much improved this week. There's a couple of tiny little teething issues, uh, but that's fine, you'll... Roll with the punches knowing that things are going to be a lot cleaner from now on. As it's pretty clear, we're not going to be getting back into the studio anytime soon. Reminder as well, patreon.com slash bookshambles is where you can go to support the show. Your pledges on there help us keep making the show, help us uh, improve the quality of the recordings, uh, especially at the moment, obviously all those sorts of things plus you get extended episodes and all the other goodies a few extra bits and pieces up on the network that you might have missed in the last couple of weeks our series atlantis with lucy green and chris hadfield all about the space shuttle atlantis the history of it the engineering challenges behind it some of the political problems with uh building the shuttle chris's story about how the americans and the then soviet union agreed on how to build a sexually androgynous docking system is quite remarkable. So you can go to cosmicshambles.com slash Atlantis to watch that. Fair few new blogs up on the site lately as well from uh, Robin Ince and Dean Burnett and Ginny Smith as well. Genetic Shambles every second Wednesday at 8.30pm live and free. Every Sunday at 3pm live and free to stream is the Science Shambles podcast check those out more exciting news about things coming up very soon but for now hope you enjoyed this week's episode here is robin josie and ruby wax hello welcome to robin and josie's book shambles uh it's a real exciting thrill to be back and today our guest is ruby wax and we should mention as well, by the way, thank you very much, everyone who supports us for our Patreon. It makes a huge difference because obviously both Jyoti and I were meant to be uh, travelling many, many miles over uh, this year. And uh, I've been to the dentist. Um, and Josie, where have you been? <laughs> oh, mate, I have not been to a full list of tour dates that I was supposed to be. I have not been to Australia and New Zealand. I could tell you all the places I have not been to. <laughs> Oh, I know. I don't. I don't open it. There was one in particular. There was a, a, a conference in um, Bulgaria, which I've not been able to do. They asked me every year, and I've never been able to do. And I was so lucky. This was the first year that I made sure the date was put in two years ago, so I could definitely do it. So I've I've not been to Bulgaria. I've uh, not been to Australia. I've not been. But anyway, so we. If, if you can support us for our Patreon, that's that's really great because uh, at we the love moment, making that, shows together, and it's it's our way of getting to actually see each other because we haven't seen each other in person now for over six months isn't that crazy i know it's really weird isn't it we used to see each other almost every week yeah you know with a selection of biscuits as well Mm, mm. 
and grapes and, and what bananas, a selection. but mainly the biscuits. Um, so, uh, yeah, support us for our Patreon, if you can. And um, anyway, this Ruby's new book is uh, a fantastic, optimistic uh, book. Well, well, we'll discuss, actually, that, that kind of nature of what, what its definition of optimism or more. Very special guest that we've wanted on for quite a few times, I think, since uh, um, almost the first book that she did. This is uh, book, is it book number four or book number five? Maybe even that's wrong, in fact, The uh, in terms of... Uh, but we're joined by uh, Ruby Wax. Ruby, is it book... Is this book five... Because autobiography, there's... Uh, um, Razzled uh, and How to Be Human. We don't have to count uh, How Do You Want Me to Be because three people bought it. So for those three people, it's like this. That's an interesting thing, isn't it? The level at which a book actually comes into existence. It may well physically exist, but it doesn't exist because it's just the, the, the interest. I've got a couple of those in my back catalogue for sure. Books not unread. I'm not I, I think that makes them better. Now, I'm going to... More, gonna, uh, can we more start? valuable, more prized. But we are going to be talking about uh, your new book, which is a now for the good news uh, to the future with love. But I want to talk about one thing in your past, which I know you don't really like talking about, but I love it so much. And it is the film Shock Treatment. Can I just very briefly mention that? Because I love that film. And it was one of my favourite films when I was a teenager. Okay, I've never seen Barry Humphrey since then. Last night I saw him and we discussed that it was the it it would symbolise the end of our both of our careers. And we were so we thought we'd be stars from that show. We were just thrilled. And again, three people saw it, except you, who for some bizarre reason thinks it's a good film. Well, no, I think what you can say, even it if it was it only better. three of us it that saw valuable. it. Um, Barry Humphreys. We were on and on about where did we go wrong. We even did our lines again, just to you know reassure ourselves which one of us screwed it. And now it's just, I swear to God, this was last night. I've never seen Barry Humphreys since he was beside me in the makeup chair, jittering with excitement that we would both be stars from this and people would dress like us forever. Well, I, well, they did. There was a night at the BFI, uh, which was a celebration night. And for those listening who don't know about it, it was it was basically to some extent a follow up to Rocky Horror Picture Show. It was Brad and Janet again in uh, in Denton. And I think as far I'm right in saying that because of a, a strike, it was no longer on location. So it was kind of rewritten to be entirely made within a film studio. And it was about a society which lives. I can't with- remember this. It's a very kind of Truman Show thing. They, they, they're living in a society where everything is filmed and everything is part of a kind of output. So it's one, it's prescient. Two, the songs are fantastic. I would argue the songs are greater than the songs in the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Paul Barry, so he can hear this. <laughs> I well mean, done. I genuinely, there's nothing... There's never been anything ironic about my love of it because I, I started loving it when I was 14 years old. You know, I found it on a video shelf. I loved that image of Richard O'Brien. With Nobody's the, the... ever going to buy my book now. No. Shock treatment. Oh, man. it's uh... Well, that's the nice thing as well is you've moved in terms of your attitudes towards mental health. You've moved a long way on from shock treatment as uh, a necessity. But strange name, isn't it? Who knew that years later I'd have it? <laughs> that's a joke. <laughs> that's a joke. I, I really um no. 200 years yeah but that is a weird thing isn't it because in fact of course you did go on to a huge amount of 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 fame after that you know, with, with... like not what shark treatment would have done for us i mean it, it made some rocky horror made some seriously untalented untalented people <laughs> no i'm not mentioning those i i genuinely everyone i know who knows that film and it's more people than three um 
really I mean when Brian Cox and I when we tour sometimes we just stick on that soundtrack when we're driving around yeah, yeah. So it's, but isn't uh, it just such an intriguing and kind of testing quirk of this world that when you're making artistic output no matter what the quality is you have no control over its reception its legacy its longevity you have zero you know it it, it doesn't necessarily relate in any way shape or form and then here we all are just getting on with that just keeping going can i just say one other thing about about obscurity ed runs a thing with red dwarf every week and they go through old episodes and all the fans yeah. come on right i went across the room to like clean something and somebody screamed out it's blaze it's blaze <laughs> and my house was on fire and then it, it turned out that i played i have no recollection blaze falkenberg in an wow. early episode i love that show when i was a, a 14 year old it was my favorite show in the world right but clearly i was in it and that and then i said I had to say, uh, after my appearances blaze, I never worked again. And of course, I had fan letters saying they were so sorry. So that's me. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that that's one of the. I mean, because a lot of your 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 books now they do deal with us, us trying to to tackle the world and trying to be find some level of contentment. And that is one of the big problems, isn't it? Where you you're involved in something. And you imagine where you might be. I mean, I've had those things. Josie's had that thing. You've had those things. You know, there's a TV series I did, which I remember people saying, oh, my God, this is going to be one of the biggest things. And it just absolutely sank. And that was the end of all my TV career. And now there's, you know, and I've, I've never done really anything ever again. And then there was a film that I made in Australia where people went, oh, my God, this is really going to work. And you know what? It did good business in Turkey. And <laughs> so there's That's that. That's lovely. So you kind of have to. Well, turkeys are people too. <laughs> Come on. I would love to be the first person to go, do you know what? In terms of species, his films very rarely click with his own species, but they really click with a lot of other species. In November, they go wild. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Trouble was, the film opened in January. Such a small market in the turkey market at that point. But every fucking piece of fowl there is on the planet. <laughs> like, puns Can aside. Or no. I don't want to see the turkeys that are watching this. It's very interesting to me that, like... Turkey loved that film about children dancing. Like, that's very interesting. That says something about like Turkish culture. That's like it was. Yeah, it was fun. I mean, I I wonder how much is in in terms of when we work out that sometimes the most joy with a project is imagining what might happen from it, and then once it becomes a reality, from that point onwards. There's that great. There's that great, yeah. It, then the reality kicks in. And is there a way? I mean, do you think you found it uh, over over years, Ruby? Is there a way where you can go? Do you know what? I'm really enjoying the daydream. Let me enjoy the daydream so much, and let me not worry so much about what ultimately happens when this thing becomes a reality. Well, it. Um, I'd like to say that, and I do meditation every morning. But when I think that this book is coming out on the 17th, and if it's not successful. I can't imagine the cliff I might go over. I don't care if the turkeys like it. I'm, I will, you know, you, as you know, you pour too much blood into it. And if somebody, well, you know, it's a baby. And people have babies that never even leave their bookshelf. So, yes, I'm grateful. And I know turkeys are starving. But if this book doesn't succeed, I, I will, uh, there'll be something 
mentally unpleasant that happens in my cerebellum. Well, let me push it first of all by saying it has one of my favourite sentences of the year. I've read a lot of books this year, but uh, uh, none has had a sentence as good as, luckily my faeces went to the right address. Now, if that doesn't sell a book, I don't know what does, because I, you know, this is... Can we put it in context, please? No, uh, that's the whole point, because if we put it in context, who knows? There are people who may well be now buying the wrong book, but they're still buying that book. They might be buying it from some kind of John Waters scenario, whatever it might be. But this is, let's talk about, because it's, uh, um, like all your books, I, I, I mean, I find it very interesting as well. I really enjoyed it, and I, and I think it's a very useful book. I mean, that's one of the things that I look for in books now, is I, I, I like books that are that are entertaining and beautiful and useful and I think this one is like you you know the the two previous books where you've kind of been dealing with ideas of mental health and who we are um this one is a, a useful book for looking at the world and offering some hope for optimism when we are quite addicted to a kind of it almost feels like the intelligent reaction to the world is to be pessimistic because if you're optimistic and then it turns out it doesn't happen, you feel like a fool. If you're pessimistic and it doesn't happen, you say, well, you wait till next time. Do you think that's fair? You know, we, when you're deeply, uh, knee deep, or it, completely embedded in a society that really is addicted and, and is bombarded daily by disasters, so much so that we miss it when it's gone, and then we have to fill the vacuum. I don't have to name names, but you know, you know, usually starting with a B, like Bats and Brexit. Okay, I'm not. <laughs> but but the point is, even before COVID, it it was it was it was a virus. So I thought, you know, studying neuroscience, where you focus your attention defines who you are. You know, the neurons react to what where you habitually put your focus. So I thought, move my focus to where the great innovators are, you know, who are the, who are the geniuses that are creating new ways of educating, new ways of doing business, technology, what's going to enhance humanity, and I call them the green shoots. So I kind of went around the globe <laughs> to find these, you know, these masters of the universe who are going to reinvent so that we have a future. And then I thought, I'll take this information and then bring it to the UK or your, and you can pick from it things that you could change your life and it would make it a bit better. And to understand there is sun under the clouds to me has, has kind of made me happier. I, I have to admit, and I've been seeped in their reality, which is just, you know, talk about the depression <laughs> evaporating. Well, you know, when you're playing tennis with a pro, you play better tennis. So I've been with remarkable people so in business education and in tech and in community that I want to live there I want to work there I want to have their jobs because I know they're doing something to change the world because my theory was too many dinner parties where everybody's talking about this guy's fault and the ozone layer is going to and dolphins are going to and and I want to say can you swear on the show yeah oh okay either do something or get off the fucking pot you know get off the fucking Mm -hmm. pot I just, I can't have any more conversation. If you wanted to change, even if a little, you know, one little gesture, uh, you know, and you can take it from the book, what the real movers and shakers are doing and do it at home. So that was my passion about the book. (laughs) No, it's fantastic. And I I think so much like becoming active is as a real antidote to uh, depression and lack of hope. Like even when 
you know, like I'm thinking about it, like in, in a green context, if you're trying to cope with and bear like the reality of climate change, it's so much. But like even then doing the smallest thing, it's actually focusing enough that like you as a little person, as a little animal can do something. But we always think we're entitled, you know, uh, you know, it's somebody else clean up the world so I can keep on shopping. You know, I, I'm not going to get angry about it because that's the pollutant. So mm -hmm. at least I was, you know, I work with Patagonia, you know, the sportswear company mm -hmm. who are, as they've been going 40 years and don't think they don't make a profit where they, uh, their logo is in the New York Times, don't buy anything from us. <laughs> and if you do, which I have a, a sweater now made out of plastic bottles and sunglasses made out of old uh, fishing nets because they know how to recycle. Uh, they say, if anything needs repairing, send it back to us. We'll repair it and send it right back to you. And every employee has to work for some cause in the environment. And let me tell you, this is the sexiest business on earth. Nobody <laughs> wants to leave the office. They raise their kids between the buildings so you can look down and see your kid being educated so you know why you're doing what you're doing. This is the coolest place on earth. Their book about um, Patagonia is called Let My People Surf. <laughs> How cool. <laughs> And then I went to a lot of other ones, but these are prototypes and they have brought it to this country through Dove, Ben and Jerry's. There's a list of people, they're called B Corps now, who are obeying the laws of um, responsibility and putting purpose before profit. I, I never thought I'd be interested in business, but now you can see the hope. But that, I mean, do, do you feel at any point, because you've spent more and more time actually, you know, working with it and talking... Do you feel it's helped that kind of side of you, which is, you know, you, you're someone who's hugely successful. You've you've made great things. Um, that doubt, you know, so often that we and you've talked about this probably that that bit, which is just saying, is this good enough? And then maybe you have and you go, do you know what? That thing I made two years ago, that was good enough. But the thing I'm making now, that's not good enough. Has has that improved through working with with, you know, people who, who have found ways through this kind of, you know, this problem of self-awareness? Uh, like I said before, if you're playing with a tennis pro, you will become, you know, proficient at it. If you play with an idiot, you know, you're going to end up with the balls in the bushes. You can quote me on that. Um, but writing a book like this and being around the pros, you know, and being around, uh, you know, people who are creating community. I mean, we're dying of loneliness, you know, with all our high tech. We're dying of it. You know, I mean, I don't mean literally, but... The isolation was there way before COVID. You know, we disbanded our own tribes. No other animal did that. And so um, there are people now, and the theme of the book is whether it's business, whether it's in schools, and whether it's literally community or tech, they are forming a band of humans. It's, uh, there's a book called Team Human, which I really like. And so that's really, that's the hope of the future. And once you're in a band or a community, this, these questions of am I good enough really fade because now you're working mm. for the team. I, well, you I know? was thinking that a lot of um, everything has been moved to the individual, even when it comes down to things like creative effort or artistic effort or the idea of art has become you're becoming a content creator and not your part of an artistic community. Or And I think it's sort of it's worrying and something to be fought against this idea of like even within making something beautiful that it would be all down to you and all on you and about you as opposed to kind of maybe better for collaboration or or within you know within a group of um artists and that kind of thing 
I don't know. There's not a very useful thing no, to no, say, but, but I, art has always been art of narcissism, you know. It's, and especially, I don't know. Well, like, you know, they it comes out of I have a drive. But I'm talking about Mr. and Mrs. You know, sitting at home in, uh, you know, isolated in Wales somewhere or whatever. What can they do? And the only thing they can do is link up. <laughs> otherwise, you know, otherwise they're destined for madness. This re this reminds me of a. A book to recommend, which is uh, Rob Hopkins' book. Uh, it's called From What Is to What If. And uh, Rob, I, I think, was the person who set up Transition Towns. Oh, I'm worried that I've done this wrong. One second, I'm going to double check that that was him. But he was the person who, um, co-founder of Transition Town Totness and Transition Network. And basically, he's exactly the same kind of thinking as you in terms of how can we shift things? How can we do things in a positive way? And how can we join up with each other? Uh, and actually sort of, accepting the reality of climate breakdown, climate change, but not uh, then accepting defeat or deciding not to do anything about it. And and also like, yeah, in such a small way. And I think it's a really great book uh, on, on the topic that we're talking yeah, about. But let's not talk about his book. <laughs> but it, it, it's a good no. thing because it links us back to your book. <laughs> the... Um... I mean, you were mentioning, and you mentioned it as well when you're talking about, I forget the name now, of the, the CEO of Whole Foods, that thing where you were saying about, you know, purpose over profit is, is seems to be, it is a struggle, isn't it? Which is that the people are, one, we, we have a culture that is a very anxious culture. Um, and anxious cultures, oh my God, what if I have not made enough money? What if I haven't got that? What if I haven't got got this? And so do, do you feel, have, have you found, are there certain steps for you, yourself, where um, you've gone, hang on a minute, that is a profit decision and this is a purpose decision? Have you found in the last few years you've been able to kind of work out, ah, no, I don't need to do that. And, and I suppose when we say profit, we might even include popularity as well, wouldn't we? Which, again, the showbiz thing is did enough people see it as opposed to, well, maybe the 500 people, the three people, the 5,000 people, they formed a band. They went off and became a painter. They just felt happy afterwards, you know, whatever it might be. Boy, are you hitting the nail on the head. <clears throat> well, that's <clears throat> that's what we should be devoting our lives to. Uh, you know, it, it, you need to be aware of that to understand, not to fight against it, but to accept some of this is human. You know, uh, last book, How to Be Human, was we come with glitches and we are not our fault. So part of it is forgiving yourself when we're talking about that is to say, and I talked about it in the last book, we were born to compete, but it was healthy back then because if somebody was slouching in the tribe, the, the whole tribe wouldn't survive. So they had to step up to the plate. Now, when you're competing with the globe, because it's social media, you know, girls are competing with pretty girls, Russian hookers who make 3,000 pounds an hour. Of course, they're going to have low self-esteem. You'll never come in even one billionth. So the culture is what's making us sick. The drive of envy and disgust and shame and guilt had a purpose back then. So in a way, we have to forgive ourselves and say, wait a minute, this isn't my condition. It's the human condition. But again, uh, sorry to go for the good news. When I did go to schools, they're teaching kids. Uh, I went to Finland and there's some, some remarkable ones in England who are state run where they teach the kids how much is enough. They teach the kids they have a buddy system and it's just as important to help their partner as it is to go for themselves. They have um, teachers, right, who say there is no question that's stupid. So imagine that for self-esteem, because those are the kids that are going to think out of the box. The, these kids are, you can see they come from very 
disturbed neighborhoods, you know, high violence. And you can kind of feel their nervousness. But this school is this school is all about, oh, there's a dog. Yes, if uh, there's yes. a turkey, then I know I'm doing well. Yeah, that that was very pleasing to a Labrador. We, again, we're doing the interspecies thing. Um, the uh, sorry, can you just just going back? Yes, that 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 um, sense. Where... You know, I'm not going to bitch about it, but clearly, if one in three kids have a mental illness problem in schools, something's not something's off. So, um, you know, again, I saw the hope, and it's called Reach Two. There's a couple of schools throughout the UK where they really um, they really teach these kids how to a deal with their stress hormones which school does that a little bit showing them the brain and showing them what happens when they get nervous or they get into fight and flight and then they give them tools you know techniques to calm themselves down so just for example in one school when a kid feels you know that he's getting too uh, you know there's too much red mist in his head he gets up from his desk even if it's an exam goes to a corner where there's a color chart of red green red, yellow, green, and then there's faces on each one, like, you know, sad or angry. He knows he's in red, so he can identify. And then he might do something like they have breathing balls, you know, which expand when, you know, like toys, and then contract when you push it in. So they get their breathing steady, and then they watch themselves go into yellow, where they might feel a little nervous, and then into green, where they feel tranquil. So then they go back and take the exam and look at the results. If you if you cram too much in a kid, their their hippocamp and their their memory will go down. They'll you know this is why we have you know if you have a genius, fine. You know I went to China in this. Yeah, you want to stamp out those kids? They may be crazy by forty, but they've done really well in school. So this That's, is so impressive how they're doing it. That always interests me in terms of you must have seen the film Spellbound, the documentary about uh, children spelling bees. Oh my uh, God, yeah. And that was a when you talk about the different ways of education, you actually kind of see that in there. You see, there's a beautiful story of a girl whose uh, dad is uh, is Mexican, as far as I remember, and he's he's never he's he's worked on a on a, on a farm in in the U.S. for his whole life. He's never really learned um, English, and but you see this love all the way there, and you see that she has a real joy in learning to spell and she has something which i don't want to say it's 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 innate because as we know you know robert plowman will pop up and various other, but it's kind of it's she and then there's other people where you go this is part of your parents course to make sure that you end up as much as possible being a millionaire and for her it's as much of going this is the joy of and the family joy and i think that is you're right that that bit of to me one of the 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 problems with an education system is that surely the most important thing to learn is not fact it's to uh be inspired to learn and so it doesn't matter if you come out of school without note but if you go and now i want to go and look at that book and i want to look through that telescope and i want to go down to that river with a little net and i just want to see what's kind of growing there that's the most important thing to learn rather than facts but i think we're we seem to the, the yeah. we think that this is um this is going to enhance society and look what's happened. The smartest are the, you know, if you know how to do algorithms, you can rob the bank, you know? So we, we've kind of got it backwards and I don't think it'll continue. I think there'll be another generation that say, wait a minute, who are you ripping off here? But in, it, it, you know, when I went to Finland and, and it's in England too, they said, we are not teaching these kids to be Nobel prize winners or top, you know, hedge fund, uh, whatever. We just want these kids to feel safe. 
And like you said, once they feel safe and once they feel teachers are paid higher than any other um, uh, occupation in Finland, and it's an honor to be a teacher. And that teacher stays with those kids as they grow up. They have the same teacher. So they feel safe. And, and watch their grades. You know, if there's a parent going, oh, yeah, they're going to be tree watchers. They teach the kids what attention is, right? They don't say, here's what you have to pay attention to. They watch where the kid's attention is. And it might be, you know, bugs. Well, the teacher says, what do we learn about bugs? So the kid gets excited. And then you can shift it over to English because now the kid knows what it is to pay attention. We, we need to train this stuff. Otherwise, you can't say pay attention. What does that mean? That's our problem is we're too distracted. That's another reason we're, why we're so envious because what somebody call it, uh, there's all these weapons of mass distraction. So how can a kid focus? Anyway, it was inspiring to see that in schools. And, you know, you can start working with your kids in that way too at home. Oh, and I'm, I'm back, by the way. I'm sorry. I had to do a COVID test for work and they were due to come at nine and they just came just now. So I... Are you positive? Oh, no, they just tested it. So we'll find out in a day. But it was a very odd thing to have to run and do that because they just showed up. But I'm, I, uh, I'm reading a lovely book. Well, I've got a lovely book that I keep called The Montessori Toddler for my daughter who's two. And it's, it's entirely uh, similar principles about like following the child's attention. But also it, it reminds me of um, a book. And it's such, it seems like such a like Christmas present buying a clothes shop coffee table book but it's so useful and it's called how to break up with your phone and it talks so much about how much smartphones sabotage people's ability to pay attention and sabotage people's concentration and it's all about maintaining this kind of shallow level of constant attention that frazzles your brain and absolutely sort of overwhelms you and like yeah I I uh, just wanted to recommend two more books basically on the theme but I I, I can I entirely worry about the ability to be still and calm and focused over long periods of time uh, and, and how hard that is to teach kids when like there's a generation of parents who are like doing their parenting like that the whole time. Yeah, well, they, parents usually push their kids because they want them to make up for the failures they feel like they are. Um, you know, so, you know, check your own motivation as to why you're killing your kid. And, and he, the kid may, like you said, uh, Robin, thrive on education. Well, let them go. But if your kid is breaking, notice it at least. You know, the, the thing is, if you're kind to the kid and teach him empathy, those are going to be the um, stars in the future. You, well, you know this, the, the jobs that will be available in 20 years don't exist now. And I really think things like um, empathy and compassion, those will be the gold standards. <laughs> People will say, oh, these guys know how to manage a company. The accountant will be replaced by a robot. So um, I think it's being human, well, that's going to save us. And that you can teach people. And that comes out of, you know, when I saw communities, and we could talk about the intentional ones, because I kind of went and saw them in Africa and favelas and in England and in America. These intentions, I'll say what it is later. Yeah, the, the, the focus shouldn't be on, I mean, there's a WhatsApp group where all, <clears throat> all people do is add uh, quotes from newspapers, usually the New Statesman or the New York Times, whatever, <clears throat> to show that <clears throat> to show that there is intellectual as the guy before, you know, like a it's cookie cutters, you know, it's a it's like we're regurgitating then vomiting, then regurg that's our education, but it's the guy who comes from the left field. There is no stupid question when you think about it, and if 
again, like you're right too, if you send that compassion to whoever's standing in front of you, let me say it's a selfish act because you do release that the hormone, you know, that oxytocin, and it makes you feel better. So when I went to, uh, in the last bit, World Savers, and I went to Samos with these, um, it, you know, the new generation, and you, um, you're standing in front of a refugee instead of watching them on TV, and they're so grateful, and you just, you feel that love. Well, I was higher there than I ever was when I got a OBE. You know, that, it makes you live longer. If you're kind, uh, it, you know, it, physical and mental are the same thing. So your immune system gets stronger when you're nicer to somebody. There's, there's interesting, you write about living cities, and that, I was talking with my favourite hedgehog expert, Hugh Warwick, who's a lovely man, has a new book about hedgehogs called The Hedgehog Book now, um, and uh, and Hugh was telling me, I think it's in some of Edward O. Wilson's work, but it might be in others, which is that connection to nature, which you talk about, that connection which is seeing that, you know, research has been done for instance in buildings office buildings where on one side people can see a tree and they can see nature and on the other side they see the car park and uh, and in the same way also in residential buildings as well that even the slightest contact with the living world changes the actions of people changes the decisions they make and including decisions which may well lead to kindness or alternatively for those who are starved of nature are lead to you know sometimes brutality and i i found it interesting recently when well not that recently whenever we you know back in march probably now when euston when everything around euston was being knocked down and you saw how big the sky was and you immediately go oh yes if you live in a city you're starved of the sky mm-hmm. and if you live in certain bits of the city you barely do see a tree and it turns out these things, which all sound, it's so easy to shoot them down as hippy-dippy, isn't it? And but actually going... It... But just like you were saying about, uh, in neuroscience, what you focus on builds your world. I mean, that's how that's a Buddhist uh, teaching just as much as anything else. And what you're saying, oh, it sounds hippy-dippy to say we need trees. I mean, it, it's been proven that when we're in a grey environment, it's bad for our mental health and our brains. That it, It's scientific and it links in with the way people speak in a folkloric manner because that's how human beings have reacted to it before they were able to kind of test it within a more scientific environment. You know, I, I feel like, I don't think it's remotely hokum to sort of talk about these things. It's, yeah, there's it's clear shame in it, you know, because we're supposed to think it's normal to live, you know, in a, you know, one of those dystopian places down in Paddington where you're facing the other guy's TV, you know, in the next building, but you never make eye contact. And somehow this is the, you know, the environmental architecture. But what was great in, in when I researched it, they're building cities called living cities now. It's still, you know, you don't need more money, but everything is, is kind of facing, uh, as you say, parklands, but it's forcing people to sit on benches in some towns, there's hammocks, there's areas where I know we have playgrounds, but you have to walk two miles to get it. Everybody's kind of leaning in and watching, you know, you're pushed to have life together. There's islands of community between the buildings. Outside of London now, because I have a little place where I write uh, about an hour away beyond Stevenage, there are little communities like Buntingford and Bulldog or whatever. And because of COVID, they start using the town hall 
and picking up garbage on one day and then delivering food. This is the whole town working together. But now let's mm-hmm. move to cities. If you want to change, there's a place in South London called Bedzed. Part of it is the Peabody Trust. It's an eco village within South London. Okay. Mm-hmm. So there's free housing. I'm not saying, I'm just saying there's the model. There, yeah. There's no heating bills, right? These are, these are houses that aren't extravagant, but they know how to conserve it. They know how to do the solar p- paneling. It doesn't cost more. Um, yeah. They have a community center where if you've got a baby, your neighbor's going to take care of it. You don't have to call in home services. Old people meet. You know mm-hmm. your neighbors. They're mm. structured in a way it's that beautiful. one building is, uh, there's, a, there's a cobblestone little street, not for cars, where the kids play so everybody's safe. So look, look at the architecture of that and maybe where you live. You, you can see that. And maybe start your own. I mean, yeah. I know it's difficult, but these things exist. Just go to bed, Zen, and have a look. Co-housing, have a look. Don't wait for the mm-hmm. politicians. We can, we can start shifting it. You know, all these little eco places that I've seen in America and here. You call in, there's a service called Gen, which I write about a lot, which is Global Eco Network. If you want to turn your little community neighborhood into this kind of community, they'll come and help you. Oh my so God, beautiful. They do it in Africa. There's 10,000 of them. They help, well, kids, it's going to be extreme in London, but they they give you, they have the means to tell you how to conserve energy. So there, mm. there's your environmental thing. They make a community center and don't tell me we don't have churches, you know, or places. And they tell you how to negotiate conflict. And then there's certain rules, like there has to be equality, there has to be transparency, and there has to be What's the other one? Authenticity. So if you don't stick to that, they don't help anymore. So if mm. you touch with Jen, we can make movements. You don't need the money. They're they're changing little towns in Scotland, like in Moray, but the mm. town decided let's do this. So um, you know, you we can't say anymore. Let's wait for Boris Johnson because that'll just yeah, yeah. just figure it out yourself. Call Bedzed. Go look at it. Call Jen and change your community. But that's I, what's really wonderful uh, about the things in your book and what you've been talking about is it is sort of activist principles, but being scaled up in a number of ways, which is very exciting, I think. It feels very, like, thrilling that it's not just kind of... It's not just, like, a couple of people on their own having to do things entirely against the system. It's actually, like you were saying about... They're playing with it. This this method in business is called conscious capitalism. And there's another book, read it, called Firms of Endearment. And as I say, these are Unilever's doing it, big companies, but they're turning it around that they have to be kosher, right, from the supply chain. It's the woman who's cleaning it. She feels part of this, you know, purpose because outside of their job and they're paid, it's their time, they also work they have their choice of what they want to work for. So example, Ben and Jerry's is committed to training refugees to work for them. There are these companies and those are the ones we should buy from. I mean, I know they'll kill you with the fat, but uh, there's Dove. There's, um, there's one called, I think it's PG Tips and it's in India. I have to look it up. It's, it's under Unilever. And their motto is something about have a cup of tea and talk. It's bringing in transgender people and gay people and saying, have a cup of tea in these areas and talk about it. Now it's going through tea. Do you see what I mean? Mm-hmm. So 
these things can be transformed. You just, we have to now look for it and not form some activist thing. Activism is already there, but they're proving that it works. You know, businesses make money. These schools, the kids get unbelievable results. You know, so people who think, oh, well, we have to go all hippie. Take a look at, um, well, go read my book and take a look at the success of changing the paradigm. Mm. Well, I think but that, also that, the, just the just, attitude of... not possible. Well, then go live in your bubble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the attitude of seeing what is being done, I suppose, like, even just hearing you talk about it, it is enlivening and exciting to think, okay, you could go and view uh, an eco-community and then you could feel inspired and feel that bit strengthened to kind of make your life that bit more different and things like that. And I think, like, you, you know, attitude is such a massive factor as well in such a, and can be so good, I think. Yeah. And positivity isn't the answer. The, the, the answer is curiosity and finding out where it works and then mm. doing your little bit to replicate it. Mm. You know, pick up the plastic bottles. Just don't, you know, I'm not... I'm not a, you know, politician, but when you live in a community that's conscious, if the next guy's doing it, you'll do it too, because we work like a herd. Mm. So that's part of community too, I think. No, I think it's, uh, um, it's, it's that, that bit you, was, you were saying basically about, um, the, when you were mentioning Ben and Jerry's and PG Tips, the first thing I was thinking was, I bet there's someone who's going, oh, that's interesting. Because, you know, that actually PG Tips do this. Because the other problem I think we often have is when a big company or anything does something good, and actually what we seem to have an ability to do is, is to actually find their Achilles heel, find the other thing they do. And, and that... So as opposed to going, we should really focus on the company that are utter arseholes. The, let's, let's focus on the 100% arseholes and, and go, actually, that is a good thing. And let's encourage that. And that's because I think that's another of our pessimistic habits. I, I, I think it's a bit like people get very caught up with uh, hate and being furious, as we know. You know, as you were saying, breaking up with your phone, Josie. Um and I'm trying, and on Cosmic Channels, we tried now, every time that I sometimes see something and I go, oh, I'm very angry about that person, I go, don't put anything up about them. Don't increase their platform. Mm. Put up that interview we did with Bernadine Evaristo that was a wonderful conversation, yeah. which showed how now she has the Booker Prize, she's got an even bigger platform to spread ideas that yeah. are good and inclusive and exciting. And that, and tr- I mean, that feels to me part of... The whole, I mean, I know that you deal with, you know, technology and you're dealing with, with, you know, architecture and education and all of these and, and, and so many different ideas. That bit of just going, one of the first steps is to go get rid of the addiction to feeling that you've briefly fought a battle against someone who's a, who's a monster. Try and just say that monster doesn't need to be given any more of a voice by me being angry against them. Here's a voice that I think is useful. Here is a voice that has something in it which can be taken away and something you can build on, whether mentally or physically or whatever it might be, or whether it's just growing. That voice made me decide to grow some runner beans. Yeah, because everybody's going to get a little wrong. You know, we still have packaging. We're not stupid. You know, you're not going to dump it in one day. But, um, you know, if you, some of these businesses, you know, they're committed to 100% clean energy globally, but, you know, they take a billion people, take action to improve their health. These are some businesses. Uh, 1.85 billion million women have been empowered through initiatives, developing skills. Now that's through some company in Unilever. I mean, they're, look at their um, remit. 
Uh, now you could say, well, maybe they're lying. Okay, so ne your next job is get up, talk to the company, and go see what the company's doing. Or go to China and see if Patagonia are treating those people with medical aid. You, you know what I'm saying? You can check it. And mm -hmm. then you decide, oh, I'm going to shop from Patagonia rather than, I don't have to say those high street stores. But mm -hmm. again, it's not like me telling you or I have a riot. Go look it up. I mean, you have hands. <laughs> yeah, um, well, it's useful to be more conscientious about these things. And like, yeah, like you say, instead of just saying, well, I've heard this, you can always really quite rigorously check things or even contact the company. Um, I think I, I think what I would say is I would be more inclined to have as much generosity of spirit, of spirit as possible for individuals and slightly less for companies that are large and problematic. Like, you know, a, a small company like Patagonia that, you know, has such a wonderful ethos or, or a company that is like a mutual that gives back its profits to its employers, I'd be more inclined to support than like one where there was lots of conflicts. But like, I, I think trying to be more generous to human beings who are like, obviously going to be complicated and difficult is like so important just for navigating the world yeah i think the open-hearted uh doesn't mean you're a sucker yeah if you hear a bank is doing uh putting um wind machines to replace hand dryers in the toilet or you know uh the carbon offset when you take a plane you get some seeds so when you get to your destination you have to plant some we can still smell bullshit right mm. And that'll be your decision. You have to um, d discriminate between people you think are just pulling one over and the real deal. But being curious and being, you know, showing compassion, you'll figure it out. And those people will not get away with it, maybe in 20 years. But again, figure it out yourself. Everybody's yeah. trying and some people are bullshitting. It'll always happen. Yeah. The way the world is. We've we've run out of time, and so I'm gonna. Well, there's loads that we haven't, uh, which is good. The less we talk about, the more that they need to. Uh, the, the your book is uh, filled with. It starts off with community. We go into education. We go into all manner of. Uh, uh, there's there's some very interesting. We were going to talk about Findhorn, but we won't talk about that now. So they will have to look up and find out <laughs> more about Findhorn, amongst other things as well. Um, and it is uh, and now for the good news to the future with love, which is out officially on the seventeenth, isn't it? I think. Um, and it is, and it's a re as, as I said before. I like it. It's, it's got there's just a lot of ideas in there. And there's a lot of things to to get your teeth into, and it is a very uh, and it is an optimistic book. And it is, or maybe not optimistic. Maybe it is again that Hans Rosling thing. It's possibilistic. Here are the possibilities, you know. And I love that stuff. Oh. Yeah, or do and, it. Here's a, it's a how to do. You know, pick this information and bring it home. And remember, you can buy it on Hive, just thinking of positive things, which is, uh, if, for those, I'm surprised the number of people who still don't know about Hive. Hive is uh, an online bookseller where some of the, the money from the sale will go to your local bookshop. So especially at huh. this time when things are all, still all up and down and some people are still uh, not, you know, not able to go out. And this, again, may be, be changing for the worst again for a while. Hive is a good place to support your local bookshop. If you can't, of course, just order it from your local bookshop as well, which is many of them are getting out on their tandems, amongst other mm. things. Uh, tandems with a basket on the back Ruby thanks very much for uh, um, for joining us thanks Josie thank you thank you thanks for speaking to us uh, yeah what a dream what an exciting thing to be doing 
Thank you so much for listening. I really hope you enjoyed the show. I'm sorry that I duck out for a section of it to have a COVID test. Uh, it was a real joy. But to be fair, he said I was the most relaxed about having the weird swab of anyone he'd done. And I felt that was both a compliment and a very low insult. Um, if you do enjoy the show and please don't th feel if you if if. Supporting our Patreon is not possible. Please don't feel that we don't want you to love and listen to the show too because we love the fact that it's available for everyone. Uh, but if you do enjoy the show and you fancy giving us a good review on uh, the old uh, podcast platforms, we'd be really grateful if you were to give us a five-star review because that helps us in terms of visibility and people enjoying it. So, yeah, please do enjoy the show. <laughs> You can give us a four-star review as well, but three-star from that point onwards, just stop it, okay? But preferably five-star review. We'll continue Why are you to advocating for a four-star review, Robin? If you give us some sense, however false, of your delight in our existence. Thanks very much for listening. Ruby's book is out next week, if you are listening to this on the day of release, 17th of September Either way, so make sure you get yourself a copy of that. Pre-order it now. Patreon.com slash bookshambles is the address you need to go to to support us in making the show and continuing to make the show and all the stuff that we do at the Cosmic Shambles Network. Get extended episodes. Uh, there's about an extra 10, 15 minutes of Ruby, Robin and Josie for you this week. Back next week, back next Thursday with another new episode when Robin and Josie will be joined by the host of Radio 4's more or less, Tim Harford. So until then, have a great week, stay safe, and don't break any laws, even if you're thinking of breaking them in a specific and limited way. It's still not okay. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions.